who had nothing to do. Good morning, or good. I didn't know it. We're so used to this. Produce content and have conversations for those. Good morning or good evening, depending on whatever shift your seniority allows you to hold. I'm William Young, correctional officer, author, and advocate for the correctional profession. Tonight, I'll be your ever-so-gracious host and director of dialogue for the duration of this discussion. Allow me to welcome you with warm, unwavering, outstretching, open arms to this week's edition of... Do it with me of... This Saturday night synopsis. How's everybody doing tonight? I see Anthony. I see BJ. I see Tina. I see Kelly. I see Jim. I see Jay. I see Roland. We got a great show for you tonight. I have a fantastic guest and we're going to get into some good stuff. But first, man, what a week. What a freaking week. Here we are, August 1st. Summer's in the books and the weather is getting a little bit cooler and uh, we're still... Still, still, we're still dealing with this freaking virus, this coronavirus. I remember at the at the beginning, I really thought that it was going to be uh, wrapped up and uh, tucked away neat, but it is an election year, and we need to keep this kind of stuff going. Right now, it's, it's uh, are we wearing masks? Are we not wearing masks? Now we're wearing face shields. Are the kids going back to school? And, and some, some school districts are... Uh, you know, they're making plans or, you know, doing prep work. And I talked about this a couple episodes ago. It's kind of funny listening to them talk about how dangerous their environment is going to be uh, as a correctional officer listening to that. I just kind of I just kind of chuckle a little bit. But uh, I really think I'm going to make a prediction and say that uh, say that uh, we're going to get shut back down again. Kids are going to go. Uh, we're going to get everybody in their uh, first day pictures and their backpacks and their pencils and all their supplies and we're going to go take them to school and uh some kid's going to sneeze and we're going to go back home and uh and that's fine whatever let's do it let's get it over with i I still want to reiterate the people in my life that were um hi sarah how you doing i'm excited to do the show tonight too i said hi sarah and siri my siri went off so i got to be careful with that um i want to reiterate the few people in my life that were posting at the end of uh, 2019, December 2019, about how terrible of a year they had and um, how they couldn't wait to usher in uh, 2020. And I think I'm going to go back one of these nights when I don't have anything to do, which is really a, a lot of the time because I, you know, between, you know, working 70 hours a week, uh, finishing my book, doing two podcasts and, uh, you know, all the other stuff I do. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to make a list. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to compile it. I'm going to send you guys an email that we're uh, so anxious to get 2020 going here. Um, but look, here's what I want to pass on to you guys. There is uh, all kinds of things going on right now. Uh, the world feels like it's spinning out of control. Uh, but I, I don't want you to lose focus. I don't want to lose steam. The other night I was I was pissed. Oh, man, I was pissed. I was livid. Uh, I had a, a, a couple of things change. My kind of my job dynamic changed a little bit. But um and so my plate's just really full, and I just don't know that if I can just... I, I don't feel sometimes like I can take any more bullshit, any, anything else that's, that's going to happen. But what you have to do is just have to have a little perspective. Make sure to take time to care for yourself. 
and uh, your mental health, your physical health, and unplug from the news. Unplug from that toxic bullshit that's always on, and and just stay focused on what actually, what actually matters, right? And 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 just know that we're all where we're supposed to be right now at this moment, and that everything happens for a reason. Speaking of everything happening for a reason, I had a great conversation last Sunday I want to share with you and it's just kind of amazing how the universe works and and I don't care if you if it's if it's fate if it's karma if it's god if it's uh you know whatever terrible Ashton Kutcher movies about the butterfly effect but Saturday night I do the show I you know I I I put shut everything down and I'm sitting there and I always have a, a drink after the show and I'm sitting there and I'm wondering um you know, am I reaching people? Is it does does what I do, you know, matter? What's my legacy? Those those kind of deep, weird things that you think, you know, of at midnight when you're sitting on your porch. Um, so I get up the next morning. I didn't want to get up. I've been volunteering at church as a usher. We're doing this thing where only certain people, you know, we can only have uh, people sit in certain spots and all of that stuff. So so we have ushers uh, to come in and 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 I seat people and. Uh, anyways, I'm there early. I didn't want to get up. I get there. I get there early. And, and there's a, an older gentleman that's always there. He's there every Sunday. And he's only he's early uh, Sunday, last Sunday. And he's by himself. Usually he's got his wife with him and he's by himself. And uh, we kind of start having a conversation about just wearing masks. And and he just basically said, you know, he goes, well, if, if three tours in Vietnam didn't kill me, I don't think COVID, you know, coronavirus is going to kill me. And, and we just kind of laughed. And and I told him where I worked, and you know he 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 thanked me uh, for what I do, and and kind of recognized the difficult job. And his son is a police officer, and and so we started talking a little bit, and um, and so I I, I kind of went in and, and told him that uh, you know uh, about the guest that I had on Saturday night, which was Jeff Jackson. He's a uh, he did four tours in Iraq, and uh, we had a little you know conversation about that on the show, and. And so I told him, you know, hey, I just had this this you know this army vet on the show, and um, you know we talked about PTSD and and that's kind of my focus. And I talked about that in corrections, and and I wrote a book. And, and, and anyway, and this guy gets this uh, this stare, and uh, everybody knows the stare. Everybody's seen a uh, anybody who's experienced any kind of trauma or. Uh, situation in their life like that, they drift off, right? They're no longer, they're telling you a story. They're no longer in that room anymore. They're back to that, that moment. And that guy did that for a second. And, and he started to tear up a little bit. And he told me, he said, man, man, I'm sorry. I can't, he goes, even after all these years, I can't even think, I can't even say the words Vietnam, uh, without choking up. And, um, and I told him, I apologize. I said, man, I didn't mean to bring it up. I'm sorry. But then we had a really good back and forth about um, about coping mechanisms and and people not understanding what you've been through and talking about stress. And so me and this guy are going to go get a cup of coffee one of these days. And it was awesome because I got, I, I don't know if I got a nose hair or what, but it's bothering me tonight. And it was just one of those things where I was just, and then I was like, God, this is why I got up. You know, this is why like, I study and I read and and I've been put on this path is like to interact with this guy and and for him to interact with me as a sign from, you know, I believe it's from God but from whatever and to say, you know what, you're yeah, you're this is what you're supposed to be doing. So just quit being a crybaby and just do it. 
you know. So I just thought it was a really cool story, and I think that a lot of things happen to us like that throughout our day, the signs, and, and, and we spend a lot of time kind of fighting the reason, you know, kicking and screaming, I don't want to do this, I don't want to go here, but but I, I here's what I want you to do, and, and if my buddy Roland's still watching, he hates when I give you kind of tasks to do, but when something's not going your way or you're having a rough day or maybe your schedule got altered a little bit, I want you to think about and, and kind of search out, look for that interaction uh, that that was the cause of that. Like, okay, so yeah, so I had to work here or my car broke down and I dealt with this guy or whatever it is. But you always have those interactions. There's always something that takes place that makes that worth it, that makes makes sense. For me anyways, otherwise, I mean, life is just bleak and miserable and, and, and everything's just spinning around ultra chaotic. But I, I don't like to look at it that way. Maybe you do. I don't know. I need I need a little positivity in my life. So that's why I do the show. That's why I'm glad you guys are here. I appreciate it. Everybody's Paul. Uh, Pat's here. How you guys doing? Jim, nice to see you, buddy. Okay. If you Have you guys ever had any... Do you know what I'm talking about with, the, with those interactions? Leave me a comment if you do. Or leave me a comment if you think I'm crazy. But I want to talk about a couple of things tonight before we get started into my guest here. And... Uh, uh, one of the things I want to talk about is I, is I had, if you people remember, because I'm sure you've been watching faithfully, religiously every Saturday night, but I had Daniela Santoros on a few weeks ago and she has a blog, theoftenunseen.com, which you have to go to it. You have to check it out. You have to subscribe, share it, do whatever. Uh, she writes from the perspective, remember her husband, John was taken hostage at his County jail and, and she writes about her, her, kind of struggle, her dealings as as a wife, right? Dealing with, and, and she kept saying, you know, during the interview, it was John's story, it was John's story, but it's her story. And so she's sharing her story. And so a couple of weeks ago, she wrote, um, it, it was uh, uh, the five things I wish I had known about PTSD. And then this week was five things that I wish outsiders knew about post-traumatic stress. And I think it's a great article. There's just a couple of things that I want to, that I want to point out here too, because I just I just love it. And, and and number one was read the room, right? And and it talks about when you see somebody out and you know that they've been through a traumatic event or or they're struggling a little bit, and you see them out and you run into them, maybe not maybe not talk to them about that. Maybe just say, hey, how they doing? How you guys doing? And and, and she kind of brings up about the kids, you know. Maybe the kids don't aren't a part of that conversation, or maybe maybe they want to shelter them from some stuff and. Um, and so don't bring it up. And so, you know, just talk to them. Up, just talk to them, right? You don't have to always come up and say, hey, hey, I, I see you're in the grocery store getting some groceries, but do you mind reliving the worst moment of your life for me real quick and let me know how you're doing with that? I mean, just don't just do not do that. Um, she talks about number two is don't ask what's wrong. I'm not going to go through this whole thing, even though I, I would love to just read it all on the air. It's just, I could probably do, here's what I should do. I should just do a, steal her articles and do a podcast on just her articles. Um but it talks about uh, what's what's don't ask them what's wrong, okay? Um, and and then not every day. Number three is not every day is a bad day. Uh, so again, it's more conversation stuff. You know, don't don't bring it up. Hey, oh, hey, I know you lived through some shit, and it looks like you're having a good day today. Can we can we talk about that a little bit? And then you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I, it is, I am having a good day, but now I'm thinking about it again, so I'm having a bad day. Uh, number four, if you don't have PTSD, try to relate. And, and, and I like this one. 
a lot of people try to do that. So if they if if there is a is a and I think we just do it naturally because like if you hear somebody who's struggling or oh I'm going through a divorce and you're like oh yeah 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 my uh, my best friend's sister's parents in uh, in college went through a divorce and so I know what you you know what you're going through. You're just trying to relate, but but don't do that. She says don't don't do that. Just just talk to them. Just ask them how they're doing and and remember that. Uh, not everybody uh, goes through experiences the same thing all the time. Uh, one person can be fine with something and one person may not. Uh, number five is don't give unsolicited advice. I wonder if that's towards me because that's what my whole show is, unsolicited advice. Anyways, <clears throat> I want you to check it out. It's theoftenunseen.com. I got the link in the description of the video. Check it out. Show Daniela some love. I'm going to have her and John back on the program. They were super, super awesome. So um, she's on Twitter. She's on Instagram. But uh, yeah, great article, great reading. And, and and for correctional officers and emergency responders who don't spend a lot of time thinking about how this job affects their spouses, um, you need her perspective because it's uh, it's pretty awesome. It's really awesome. So Daniela, thanks. I, I, I texted her earlier and told her that I was going to uh, talk about her on the air. So uh, I hope she doesn't mind. So oh, there she is right there. Thanks, Daniela. <clears throat> All right. So I read another article. I read some articles this week. And uh, and this was an old one, uh, March 24, 2020. And it was uh, on Psychology Today. And I posted this on my Facebook. I'm sure you guys already follow every single thing that I put out on my Facebook page and on my Twitter feed. Uh, because you're just that dedicated and that supportive of the things that I do. But in case you missed it, which you might have, um, I want to talk about something a little bit. So I, I, this, this article caught my mind. It says, correctional officers and compassion fatigue, Okay, which a lot of you guys know I talk about correctional fatigue, which is the term that uh, the publisher of my first book uh, uses, right? Cor- corrections fatigue. So it doesn't matter, correction fatigue, compassion fatigue. Uh, burnout, whatever, who cares, right? We know, right? We just call it, I just call that Tuesday, right? I mean, that's whatever. So, but something about this article pissed me off. And uh, those who don't know me uh, personally, um, I don't know if you, if I put off the vibe that I get pissed off a lot, but I think those of you who know me personally uh, know that I do spout off, I do get pissed, but I, I try to do it on things that I'm passionate about. And this this article pissed me off, which is why I posted it. So the, the guy who wrote it, uh, Mike Patero, he's a PhD. Uh, I, I combed through his LinkedIn and I've read other articles. Where I'm, now, listen, the article is good. The article is good, but the article pissed me off right away. In, in the first sentence, the article pissed me off. We're going to talk about it a little bit. So, okay, so it says, correctional officers, compassion fatigue, Mike Patero. Here it is. I He says, I know firsthand... Am I supposed to say, quote, let's say, quote, quote, I know firsthand how toxic working in corrections can be. Okay, so that's a good start, right? Yeah, because it is, it is pretty fucking toxic. But, so here's the next line, right? It says, I know firsthand how toxic working in corrections could be if you let it get to you. And that was it. I was done. I was cooked. I was pissed. If you let it get to you. You know how toxic corrections could be if you let it get to you. 
hey, I know firsthand how bad war could be if you let it get to you. I understand how traumatic rape can be if you let it get to you. Now, those may seem a little bit extreme, but to me, that's that's what they're saying. This uh, my whole thing, right, is 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 trying to break down that tough guy, tough gal bullshit that we walk around with all the time. Oh, this job doesn't bother us. If 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 it affects you, if the hanging that you see, if the if the stab wound that you see, if the medical emergency that you see, if the threats, if the violence, if all of that shit bothers you, then you're just weak. You should go work somewhere else, right? Because then all of that will go away. Instead of instead of saying, "Here, let's help you through it. Let's show you how to kind of employ some coping mechanisms," but we but we don't do that. Right, so I try to break that down. That's the point of when home becomes a housing unit. My book, hey, that was a good time to plug that. Look, available on Amazon. That's the point of the book to say, hey, look, at this job can affect you negatively. I, I mean, I, I've seen some shit, and I feel like I got a pretty good head on my shoulders. But nobody forewarned me that the correctional profession was going to sneak up on you like some copper-stealing meth head in the middle of the night, Right? I mean, they told me, hey, uh, an inmate may, you know, uh, try to assault you. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I look at, here's how I talk. And I watched some YouTube video of this guy. He's a, things to expect. Okay, don't put your hands in your pockets. Everybody knows don't put your hands in your pockets. That's not the shit you need to worry about. But nobody tells you that when you do CPR on a dead guy, that you're going to see that dead guy in your kitchen when you eat cereal in the middle of the night. And nobody tells you how to handle that or what to deal with it. If you go try to talk to your coworkers, they're too busy acting tough to worry about it, to try to help you. They're, they say shit like this. Yeah, I know that's fucked up. If you let it get to you. Well, yeah, it gets to me. It does get to me. That's dismissive, man. I, I, I don't. The, look, the rest of the article is really good. It says, uh, but I also know that there are proven strategies that can minimize stress, burnout, and cynicism that inevitably finds its way into our line, serving as jail and prison professionals. If you do not address it, it will consume you, which contribute to a host of self-destructive behaviors, including suicide. These thoughts and behaviors are unfortunately embedded deep within the culture of corrections, and as such, they remain compelling issues and warrant our attention. Do you see how that first paragraph contradicts itself? These thoughts and behaviors are unfortunately embedded deep within our culture as corrections because you put it in the first sentence. That's why. Because we say, listen, words matter, right? I, I read this huge article not too long ago because, uh, because people, and it was about saying people commit suicide and how that's inappropriate, that they're not committing crimes, that suicide is not a crime, so they're not committing it, that they're dying by it, right? So words matter. When you negotiate with somebody, when you talk to somebody in crisis, words matter, right? Don't say, I understand. We talk about all that. Don't say, oh, you seem frustrated. Oh, my parents went through a divorce too. Words matter. And so when you sit there and you say, hey, yeah, I know, I know, I know that that job's bullshit. I know you're working 700 hours of overtime a week. I know that you can't go home for birthdays or holidays. I know that you saw your your partner get assaulted. I know that you've been assaulted. I know that you... I talked to a couple of female officers this week, and they were comparing what shorts they wear underneath their 
their uniforms. They wear they wear pants. I I, I guess I never. This is something I didn't think about, right? Because I'm just a guy. But they were talking about the shorts that they wear underneath their uniforms for for two reasons. Number one, uh, they don't want to show any panty lines because they don't want the inmates to think about that. And number two, they want an extra layer of clothing underneath to fight off if somebody tries to rape them. To me, that's an incredible amount of stress to carry around. So I asked him, I said, hey, where, where is that on your, on, your, on your list, on your top 10 worries working in a correctional facility? Is that high up there? This is something that I didn't even think about. And, and so they, they come in, and this is what I talk about in my book, right? This is, if you go in and somebody, and somebody punches you in the mouth, breaks your jaw, you have a physical injury. Okay, you're going to go get healed. You're going to get your jaw fixed. You're going to drink malt shakes for a little while, and then you're going to be fine. But it's the stuff that's in here afterwards. It's a psychological injury. It's the threatening to have your jaw broke every day. It's these female officers going to work every day wearing extra layers of clothes so they don't get raped. This guy says, I know firsthand how working in toxic working in toxic working in corrections can be if you let it get to you. Well, here's the thing. And here's why I try to do what I try to do. And I'm sorry I'm taking up so much time on my fucking soapbox here. There are a lot of people out there that have a lot of great information for correctional officers. They, 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 they want to help correctional officers. Okay. But here's the thing. If you've never been called for that code, if you've never, never carried the keys, if you've never had to restrain somebody, you don't know what it's like. And you shouldn't tell somebody, don't let it get to them. If you've never had to be the person standing there doing it. Because it's fucked up. It's crazy. It's crazy being the police and the firefighters and the EMT while medical standing there watching you do CPR. If you let it get to you. You know what? That's what I'm going to do tonight. Tonight when I wake up in the middle of the night, we got some cinnamon toast crunch in the cupboard. And, and, and when we have cinnamon toast crunch, I get up in the middle of the night. Because I have to beat my kids to it in the morning because they're going to smash it. I'm going to get up in the middle of the night. And when I see that ghost, when I see that guy standing there talking to me, wanting to have a conversation while I'm trying to eat my cereal, i got to eat it fast before it gets soggy. I'm going to tell him, you know what? It's not going to let it get to me. I'm just not going to let it get to me. Then I'll finish my cereal, I'll drink my milk, and then I'll go back to bed. And everything should be fine because according to this article... Everything's just going to be fine. So then, so then I'm, I'm reading through the article. After I had to put it down, I had to put it down, and I had to, I had to, I had to walk it off a little bit. Plus, I said, like I said, it was a crazy week, and I had to walk it off a little bit. I come back, I come back to the article, and then, and then, and then at the end, uh, there's some, there's some tips, some helpful tips. So it says, he says, <clears throat> give your permission, give yourself. I'm going to read it like this: Give yourself permission to seek help. Yes, we know that you are emotionally emotionally, and physically strong and that this may soon pass. But in the absence of treatment, it will often worsen, not get better. We are all human and therefore vulnerable to compassion fatigue. The superiority complex that stems from working in this profession can be our worst enemy. 
It's time to get over yourself and push your ego and pride to the side. I don't need to do any of that because I'm just not going to let it get to me. Right? You just told me, don't let it get to me. And then you told me down here, you know what? Push your ego aside. And if it got to you, then go, then reach out, go seek help. But you, but, but why should I do that? You just told me that I'm weak. You just told me that if it bothers me, that I'm a lesser officer, that I'm less capable to do my job, that there's somehow something wrong with me because there are days that I want to cry myself in my truck on the way home because I'm tired of it because nothing even has to happen, but we get burnt out. We get pissed. And there's a lot of us that think this way. And that's why I do what I do. And that's what I talk, why I talk about what I talk about. Because I'm not going to go to the funeral of an officer who I didn't help, who I, who I wasn't there for. Because that's, I mean, that's real shit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. So check it out. I put a link to the article below. Let me know what you think. Am I overreacting? Am I underreacting? Is this just been a waste of 20 minutes? I don't know. I don't know. But it's kind of what I do. I, I do it because I don't think that there's anybody. I, listen, I had somebody in the game tell me that corrections, that nobody cares about corrections, right? Somebody in the game. Somebody in the game. <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you this. If you're feeling shitty, if you need somebody to talk to, if you feel like what you do on a daily basis doesn't matter, I'm going to tell you right now, to me, it does matter. I appreciate what you do. I recognize what you do. And that's the exact reason that I have this podcast, that I write my books, that I, I pull out this soapbox every chance I get, and I talk to correctional officers. I talk about correctional officers. I advocate for correctional officers. All right, that's it. That's it. No more. Guys, book two is coming. The big reveal, the big pre-order will be on Saturday, August 15th, live show. And the book's going to go live on September 14th. So August 15th, going to start the pre-order. Uh, I want to sell about 10,000 of these things in a month. That's my goal, right? It's, it's good to shoot shoot for the stars. I'm going to give you more info as we get closer. Um, I've also been working on a super secret project that I'm going to be launching in September. Uh, the, and, and we're going to, so the, the live show I have, Saturday Night Synopsis, August 29th, we're going to talk about that. My super secret project. It's going to be awesome. You guys are going to be excited about it. And then Monday, this Monday, I, I, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, I had Nick from the roll call room. He was the guy sitting in his hotel room, talked about Krispy Kremes, couldn't get enough Krispy Kreme wasn't wearing any pants. One point he got up in the middle of the thing and, and whatever. Uh, we're going to, uh, I'm going to be on his show as a, as a guest co-host and, uh, and we're going to talk corrections and I'm going to try to, um, we're going to talk about the difference between, uh, being a cop and being a correctional officer and, uh, and just join forces, man, because, uh, any chance I get, uh, to, to partner with those guys, partner with, uh, with, uh, police officers, firefighters, anybody, uh, to represent our profession. That's what I'm going to gonna try to do. All right, guys. Without further ado, I rambled a little bit longer. I got a bunch of other announcements, but you guys don't care anyways. My uh, my analytics say that you guys stopped watching 10 minutes ago. Uh, but we're going to uh, we're gonna bring the guest on, 
if he wants to, uh, this is going to be fun. All right. So tonight's guest is a veteran correctional officer. I'm going to use my radio voice on this. Okay, Dave, I know you're listening. So tonight's guest is a radio. Is <laughs> <laughs> tonight's guest is a veteran correctional officer, HFRG instructor, member of the crisis negotiation team, whiskey connoisseur and constant quoter of the office, fellow advocate for the correctional officers everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome David Jordan. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good, are you? Good. Say hi to the millions and millions of people watching. Hello. That's it. He just said, "Listen, I, there's only three people watching. Two of them are my aunts, and uh, and I think my and I think my my daughter. Hey, uh, Condon, how you doing? Thomas is on there. How was your day today, man? It's pretty good. Pretty good day. Got to go watch the nieces and nephews do sports and stuff, and ride some." Sheep do some mutton busting, so it was a fun day. That is, I have I have watched mutton busting on, on uh, I don't know if it was on ESPN, the Ocho, or whatever it was, but uh, that looks super crazy. Is it crazy to watch? Pretty wild, just with little kids just being flung uh, into the air and on the ground. <laughs> I would love to. Do they always have that at, like, is it, like, part of the rodeo or something, or what? A lot of times, this was actually a separate event. Just uh, they had just mutton busting and steer riding for kids, and they're doing like a series of events with it, with a championship at the end. Oh my gosh! I gotta, I gotta, I want to see that one of these days. I gotta go to a live mutton busting contest because that that would just be that would be awesome, man. They get their do they have their like their little boots and their little hat and all that? Oh yeah, yeah. they put helmets on and stuff now, but sure. Oh yeah, they up in their boots and stuff. I think ever since uh, what was the who was the guy in eight seconds uh, that 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 Lane Frost. what was it? Lane Frost was the actual person. Yeah, Lane Frost. Yeah. Ever since he, that's kind of how when it changed the game, didn't it? Yeah, yep. And then the guys after him started the PBR after he died. And now they all wear their it looks like bulletproof vests and and helmets when they ride. Oh yeah, yeah. I you know I I like to consider myself. Well, I don't really consider myself a tough guy. I, uh, I, I but I, I, I'm not really scared of a lot of things. Um, but those guys that jump on those bulls and those crazy horses, my my grandpa when I was growing up, they, I'm scared of horses. By the way, okay, dead scared of them, and I'm gonna tell you why. My grandpa was like a real deal John Wayne. Okay, he he was an old school cowboy, drunk, meaner than shit. And he broke horses. He trained bird dogs. He's in the National Bird Dog Hall of Fame. So he trained bird dogs, and he broke horses. So growing up, standing on the other side of that fence, watching my my John Wayne-looking grandpa get thrown. I mean, I, I watched him get kicked in the face one time. So he gets kicked. he gets kicked, bucked off, right? Kicked in the face. You know what he did? He stood up, and he punched that horse right in the mouth. And I said... I, I don't remember what I, I was like 10 years old, but if I was, if I was had the right mind, I would have said, son of a bitch. Are you kidding? <laughs> so to this day, and there's actually a really funny story about, a uh, uh, that I'll have to share with you at some point, um, where I let a horse go. Uh, I was at a friend's house and, uh, she had some horses and, and so she was showing me these horses and I did, I didn't want to be like, Hey, I'm super scared of these horses. Right. I was like in high school 
And uh, so we were looking at these horses and one of them jumped the fence and took off. Right. So she, so she grabbed the, the, what is it? The rain uh, of the other one. Mm -hmm. And she says, she says, hold on to this horse. I'm going to go get this other one. So I grabbed the horse and that horse, I swear to God, Dave, he looked at me and he said, you better let me go. And, and, And so, you know what I did? I let him go. I let him go. (laughs) And he jumped that fence. He jumped that fence and he took off and she comes back riding the other horse. And she's like, what happened? I'm like, the dude, the horse pulled away from me and took off. So she rounded up the horse and I left. And, and, uh, yeah, so I, 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 she, if she's, if she, I don't know where she's at now, but if she's watching, she's probably going to be pissed now. But, uh, but yeah, so that was, uh, that was kind of a silly. So are you afraid of horses, Dave? I'm not afraid of horses. I'm not a, I'm not a cowboy. My brothers kind of do that stuff, but I'm not really big into that. But I grew up on a farm, so I'm not really afraid of horses. As long as there's no snakes, I'm I'm usually pretty good. But yeah, see, I can I I don't like snakes either, but I'm not. Uh, horses are just too big. They just they just there's something about their eyes that I just I don't know. I can't do it, man. I can't do it. All right. Well, tonight we're gonna just talk about horses. So I don't know what you know about them, but that's what we're the topic. Okay. <laughs> No, so so you're uh you've been a correctional officer for six years, is that correct? That's right. Yep. Six years. We first met uh at through crisis negotiation school, which is which is some of the hardest training I've ever been through in my life. But um, uh, what? So, kind of my first question that I ask everybody is why, uh, why, why corrections? What led you to this wonderful world that you're now working in? Well, for me, it was kind of um, a combination of. Uh, fate and just desperation because um, coming out of high school, I wanted to be in law enforcement. I, I planned to, to be a cop, um, went to school for criminal justice, and things just didn't really work out. Um, ended up getting married and following my wife's career. And then 10 years went by and um, was in a uh, city away from here in uh, Sioux City, Iowa. And um, <clears throat> All of a sudden, the relationship was ended just in a, in a pretty much in a heartbeat. I was um, forced to come back to my hometown of McCook and was pretty desperate for work, didn't know what to do. I actually got another job um, and was supposed to start the day of the testing for, for the uh, work at the camp out here. And um, they told me to come back they told me they couldn't get my hotel room for that first day. So they said, don't come to the next day. So that just gave me a chance to go out and actually take the test and did and got the job. And here I am and everything. And that should have been, I was thinking at a time, you know, I was at rock bottom. I thought, Oh, now everything's going to be fine. I got this great job. Best job of highest paying job I've ever had in my life. I got a house shortly after that, Thought everything was, was set and done. And it was really just, the beginning really of some of the bad times. Yeah. We're going to talk about those, uh, those bad times. You said, you said, uh, so one of the things that I, that I talk about and, and, and kind of the argument that I have is a lot of people say that corrections isn't the, the sole cause of a person's, uh, you know, mental health issues or, or problems that we develop. And I agree with that. I, I say that it's not, but it's a, it's a definitely a contributing factor. So, if you don't mind, you want to kind of let us know a little bit when you when you say bad times, what kind of what are you talking about? And then and then 
how did the correctional environment kind of affect what you brought in with you uh, when you started? Yeah, so for me, I think I've always had what I, I tend to call uh, suicidal ideation or death ideation. And um, just as long as I can really remember, I think the there's a comedian named Frank King who does some talks on suicide. He's done a TED Talk. I think he explains it best when he says it, it's like, if your car breaks down, most people have two options. You can fix the car, you can get a new car. But for us, we have this third option. You can just kill yourself. Um, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. to, you don't mean to laugh, but geez, yeah, you know. And uh, But that's kind of how how it goes. And for me, it was it became more, I could just die. And it was to the point, especially after the, the, the divorce that happened and, and going through that, I came really aware that I wasn't going to kill myself. I, you know, I had that opportunity. I was sitting next to the bathtub with the razor blade and I couldn't do it. So I, I knew that probably wasn't what was going to happen. So I turned to praying to die or hoping to die. And it became kind of this sick obsession and, and weird relation. I, I almost ashamed to say it, but I feel like it needs to be said because people are, other people are feeling it. Um, that I was angry. I thought, you know, God was letting me down. I just really thought that it was my turn to get out of life and, um, and it wasn't happening. And I couldn't understand. That's, uh, yeah, that's scary stuff, man. Um, what, what kind of made you turn the corner a little bit? Are, are you still, are you, do you still feel like that or, or, or do you have, are you taking that and you're using it for kind of a different mission? No, I think I've turned the corner quite a bit. What there was, I call it kind of hitting rock bottom and I kept trying to dig and dig and dig and dig. Eventually someone kind of pulled me out. Um, honestly, it was my ex-wife had a big part in it. We kind of had what I call a relapse where we, we dated a little bit, but she was kind of on that upcoming back out of her depression. And I was, like I said, digging, further down. Um, when she de decided to end it again, she did it in a much more healthy way, but she knew that I was on in, a, in bad shape and she knew that I needed help. So she alerted my brother, you know, you need to do something or he's not going to be alive very long. Right. So he more or less forced me to, to get help. And I, you know, talk therapy has worked for me. Honestly, that's all I've, I've used and it's, it's worked uh, wonderful for me. Um, you know, I, I left out part of your last question about, you know, how corrections impacted it. The thing about corrections, especially I worked in an open facility where, you know, we don't have like cells or anything. Um, the inmates have way more time than the average person to watch and analyze things. So they were, you know, telling me, on a day-to-day -day basis, you're going to go home and kill yourself. Today. We can tell, we can see that. Wow. And so, and, and most of us, you know, we're built, we, we're not rude. So we don't want to say things like that, but they don't have that necessarily always built in. And so it's, that's one way where I realized that, you know, we, we have to watch who they're targeting to see who needs help. I mean, if they're coming after somebody, there's usually a reason for it. 
No, I think you're right. And I think that's one of the things like why I was so pissed off about that article that I was ranting about earlier is and why I, I, I say even if even if you're an, an officer that doesn't have any issues or doesn't have a problem with anything that's going on, you still have to check in on staff because you're you're I mean, when we're in those units, we're 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 isolated, we're alone, we're walking through and those inmates say some terrible shit to us, you know, like what, I mean, I, I can't believe I've never had anybody say, you know, go home and kill yourself. But, um, if we don't have the support of our staff, if we don't have people watching our back, then those things are just going to rattle around in our heads and it's going to start chipping us away, you know, day after day, after day, after day, after day, until it's just, until we just don't want to hear it no more. You said that you felt like, when you were at the point where you felt like God turned his back on you, which I can relate to that, man, I'm a believer. And I, and, and, and when, but when my mom died, I was super pissed. Um, I, I never stopped believing, but I was pretty mad. Uh, we, we, we had a, it was a rocky relationship for a while. Right. Um, at what point did you know that there's something that there was something going on that there was that, that whatever it was that it, that it kind of triggered this, um, had a hold of you? Um, I mean, I think I knew for a long, long time, but I always had that denial and, and I was really good at trying to tell myself that what I was thinking was abnormal and that no one would understand. So I needed to keep it to myself. Um, and so I would try to convince myself that wasn't the case. Um, and then I would just, that would sort of pile onto the whole belief of me being worthless. I would just be like, well, you think this, and obviously you're, you're a freak, you're a weirdo. Clearly you just need to die. And it would just all kind of, you know, pile in together. I don't think it was until after I started getting help and started talking these things out that I started saying, that's, you know, seeing where the, where it was coming from seeing that, there wasn't behind a lot of it. it and it wasn't, I, to me, I didn't necessarily have like a trigger event. I don't think um, that I can necessarily point to. It was more just a, you know, my personality being what it was. I think, you know, I, I believe I have, um, we talk about in negotiation a lot, the uh, inadequate personality disorder. I think I fit that to a T to be honest with you. And I think, so for me, it wasn't about really triggers. It was just all these things that happened in corrections. And I, maybe this isn't at every facility, but I know that like where I work, sometimes there's no shortage of people telling you, you may not be doing the best job. <laughs> that was a, that was a really nice way to put that David. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so whether it be inmates, disagreeing with you or, or other staff or supervisors or whatever, you have plenty of people telling you that you're not great. And for somebody that has the thought process that I did and still do, to be honest, it's, I just know how to deal with it. Um, it was, it just built even more onto that. If you know, what I'm, if that makes sense, like, yeah, yeah, no, I do. Did, did, did you feel like you could, share those emotions, those feelings with, uh, your, your friends and family. So when you were, when you, 
when you had these suicidal thoughts, you were thinking, I, I just want to die. I mean, did you communicate those? Could you say that to those people? I, I don't believe I did. I mean, I really thought it was abnormal behavior. I thought that, you know, saying it would be taboo. I thought, and I hate this now, but like, I, I kind of bought into that whole idea of if you say that you're, want to hurt yourself you're just faking it you're just uh trying to get attention and, sure and so i bought into that and i i wouldn't say it because you know i didn't want to be viewed as that i didn't want to be viewed as the sad sack or you know those kinds of things were you worried about uh being a burden on other people yeah i think i was worried about being a burden i think i think you know, I was worried that people would, I already felt isolated and I, I thought maybe I would be more isolated. I thought, um, people wouldn't be able to accept me. I didn't think until I started talking about it, until I started telling people, I didn't know that other people felt this way. I didn't know that they thought the way that I did. And, you know, especially when we talk about the wishing for God to, to, to kill me, it seemed like so far out and seemed so ridiculous to me. I thought nobody could think this way. And I've talked to people now, you know, at least a few that have said, yeah, I felt that way before. And, um, so it, it's not, and that's where I felt like I, I had to start talking. I had to start telling people because if I was sitting there feeling like I couldn't tell anybody and, and nobody understood and I was wrong, then that's how, I mean, I just feel like You've said this on your show several times, but we have to start talking about it. We have to start – this tough guy attitude just isn't working anymore. Well, yeah, and I think that – I think the misconception is that is, – and again, because we're performing when we're at work. We're, we're, in, we're in control. We're in charge. And we and, – and I honestly think that we feel if we say, hey, uh, this job is, has, uh, is breaking me down a little bit, that that's going to compromise us. Or, or, or that we should just leave the profession, but that's not the case. Look, I love what I do, and and I and I I'm okay at it. You know, I I think I'm a decent jailer. So, but there's still side effects to the job, just like any other profession. I mean, it, you know, if you're you know welding all day, you're breathing in those fumes. If you don't have that mask to protect you, you're going to get lung cancer. You're going to die. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Nobody tells that welder to just go quit. Uh, you know, just stop breathing in the fumes, dummy. You know. I mean, but that's kind of what they do to us. Um, so how hard was it for you to, I mean, when you decided to start talking about this kind of stuff, um, what was the reception like for you? Were people, were people open to it? Or were you surprised at the reaction or, or, or did they kind of uh, stay away from you? I was honestly, I was shocked how, how open people were. Like, I mean, you didn't, you couldn't talk to necessarily a big group of people. But um, when um, you would get a person alone, they would start telling you more about um, their their feelings and how they were the things they were going through, and you would find out, you know, a lot of times shockingly how they were going through some of the same things. The people you thought were the strong people, the people you thought were absolute rock would be having these, these struggles. So it was, that was interesting for me. Which is why, which is why it's so important for guys like you to come out and to talk. 
and and for for you know like you we had talked before the show and you talked about Daniela and you talked about Cody and and the people that have come on the show every time that somebody gets on whatever venue it is or pulls somebody to the side and talks about their story it breaks down a barrier and, and shows these people that hey you know if, if David's talking about it it's okay if Anthony's talking about it it's okay you know if if Bill's talking about it then maybe I can talk about it because you're right once you once you kind of open this this door uh Man, some of the stuff. You, look, I've worked. I've worked at my facility for, you know, almost sixteen years now, and 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 I know I have a good working relationship with people. I know some of them, but I don't really know them outside of work. All of them, right? But when you yeah. start talking about this, and you realize the 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 things that these people are struggling with, and still putting on a smile every day. I mean, it's it's insane. It really is. And we're so sheltered from the outside world, I feel like, you know, and this is not to put down law enforcement because I I have family in law enforcement and I respect everything about law enforcement, but, you know, when something happens to them, people are always there to support and to show their pride. Um, we've never had that in corrections. We've never had any kind of outside support our portrayals in TV have always been bad. Right. They don't have to be changed because of this new movement. They always have been bad. Right, right. So I think, I think that weighs on you too when you're going, when you already feel like down and depressed about what's going on in your life. And then you just, you, you look at your, how the public views your job, you know, how many people still call you a guard and, and things like that. No, you're right. It, it, correction, correction. We don't make anything. Our job is never. It's a never-ending production line of 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 our population. I mean, it, they just keep coming and coming and coming, and we just got to show up. And as long as we're not bringing in heroin or sleeping with an inmate, then we have a job, right? But you're right. And this, and we, so we don't. And that's why I laugh about the teachers, and I laugh about. And I'm not downplaying anything that anybody does. But when this whole pandemic thing started. And people were talking about how dangerous their job is and, and how they don't get recognized and all this. I'm like, yeah, how's it feel? You know, I mean, this is like what we do every day. You know, we, we've we've been operating pre pandemic. We'll operate post pandemic. And, and even after this, nobody will still care about us, you know, and, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with us as well. And, and maybe you can share if you agree or not. But I think that for the most part, because we have that that um, uh, job dissatisfaction that's kind of, in, you know, what we do doesn't really matter, kind of ingrained in us because the public doesn't recognize it, then I think that we, as a, as a collective, we don't really recognize that, that what we're doing is like serious, life-changing, super important stuff. I mean, we, it, do you see that? Oh, yeah. I definitely, I definitely think... We definitely don't, and I think um, a lot of people get to, almost to the point of feeling like they don't do anything. Like you said, we don't make anything, and I feel like they, they, they start to get bogged down in that idea that we're not making much. I think even I have at times, you know, now I've, I work as a caseworker, so my job really is about trying to make um, changes in in a person's life, and you don't always see those changes. They, they don't happen very often, honestly. 
And I think that does weigh on you and it, and it gets to that point where you're like, well, what am I doing if I'm not making those changes? Right. It's very hard. It's not, you know, we always talk about the, we're work, you know, success in our field is these minute numbers because majority of people are going to come back to prison. And so finding success is very difficult. Right. And we, and, and you, you have to work hard to, to find those positive interactions, to find that those little differences. Cause I, I believe that we all do make differences every day in somebody's life. We will, and, and we'll never see them. We'll never see them. Right. Very rarely does somebody, when, when people, we see people again, it's cause they're back in prison. They're back in jail. I mean, that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Hey, I haven't seen you in 10 years. I'm doing good. You know, blah, blah, blah. And, it's, and, and I'm thinking, no, you're not doing good. You're back in jail. But you know, you got to consider the circumstances and all of that. But I, th- but we, we are doing super, super important work. And I, and I just wish that everybody that worked in our facilities understand that. Now you're a, you're a, uh, it's HFRG, which is formerly, that was formerly PPCT, right? Yes, is that they, correct? They, they, yep. That's what it was. Okay. So, so my question is this, uh, as a, as a tactical instructor, how was it, how was it difficult to shift gears when you went through negotiator school to go from tactical option to conversation? For me, it wasn't because tactical is actually what's out of my nature. It's why I became an instructor because I felt like there was more people in corrections like me, especially, you know, in my facility, I felt like there were more people like me that needed to be taught as well. And so I thought, Somebody that didn't have the tactical mind could could teach the self defense and help those people. Um, so for me, it was that part wasn't difficult because I've always had that more uh, verbal approach to things. Because it's two different it's very it's two different mindsets. When I go when I go into a situation and, and they call me up to negotiate, for me there is no other option. I'm not. Yeah. I am going to fix this. And, and so I don't have anything to, to re- rely on, to lean back on, you know, for, for me, it's, it's an all, and that's why you'll never see a video of me saying, uh, tonight we're going to talk about tactical handcuffing because I don't care about that. I just don't care. Uh, it's, it's important. And there are self-defense instructors and, and guys that will show you that gals that'll show you that. And it's awesome. And they're really passionate about it. That's just not my thing. I really like the communication. I like the crisis negotiation. Um, and, uh, yeah. So what'd you think of your experience at the school, man? Was it intense? It's so intense. Like you said, it's a hard, it's definitely the hardest training I've ever experienced. Uh, but at the same time, kind of a blast. I went through it twice, honestly. Uh, so it, the first time and the second time was a huge difference because of just where I was at in my life and, you know, how I was dealing with my mental illness. But, um, just a blast and just it's like you said it is really how i want to approach the job you know using that communication skills as your first line of defense for everything well we that's what we do i mean we yeah. you, i mean it, this the self-defense stuff is super important it is we we work in a very dangerous job where at any minute you know and we heard when, when john was on the show talking about it, any minute you're hostage boom just like that but in my in my career, I can count uh, the amount of times that that I've been gone after on one hand, 
But yeah. the amount of times that I have communicated and de-escalated a situation, uh, I, I can't count. It's, it's every day, all day long. You know, I mean, and that's such an undervalued skill, I think, in this profession. Also, and one of the things I learned about at, at uh, negotiator school, because I was, I thought, I went in thinking, I, I can do this. This is good. And, um, and Jed and John and, and, and Elisa and some of them other people, uh, they woke me up real quick and said, you know what, Bill, you're a good talker but you're not a good communicator. And they, uh, and that training just broke me down, dude. I mean, it just made yeah. me feel like shit. The, the, that, that school, the way you guys approach training, um, it's so, it's so real, man. I, I have, I still have, uh, some, some, a little bit of side effects from that. I mean, that, that it was that real. You really do get a visual for what they're like. I always, was just imagine that was actually happening. Like they're talking about cutting heads off. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's definitely happening right now. Like, so they, they do a really good job of making it feel like that. Well, we had a, we had a, and I'm not going to give the details of the scenario, but we're sitting in the, around the table and, you know, we're, we're listening on the headphones and we're listening to this story. And the guy mentions uh, an officer's name and the, the, the negotiator on the phone said, oh, do you mean this guy? And he said, yeah, I do. So all of the sudden they were talking about a real officer. Okay. And they were starting, they were talking about real situations. And I started, I started tearing up, dude. Because all of the sudden this, and then, and so then we, you got to switch, right? So you get involved and then boom, you switch. And then one of my, my, my fellow officers that came up to the school with me gets on there and he's talking about a fellow officer that we used to work with that killed himself. And I knew the story. I knew the guy, I knew the bat. And, and I'm like, holy crap, this is like, I, you, you're, you're not sitting in training anymore. You know, this is like real shit. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm telling you what. If you can get PTSD from a training uh, simulation, <laughs> I, that's what that's what happened to me. Um, I can't. There, there was a. I'll tell you one quick other story because I had such a great time. But the the one I was a, I was the coach, uh, and uh, there was a, a, a another guy that was the negotiator, and they made him sing sing a song, and he sung "Creep" by Radiohead, and. Um, I had heard that song before, but like, whatever, you know, it wasn't one of my favorites, but being in that moment at that time with people on the other end of the door, threatening to cut fingers off and heads off and hearing that song echo off the brick walls, it burned into my brain, man. I listen to that song probably every day. I know all the words. I can't get it out of my, you know what I mean? And, and I've talked to other people that went through the school that, uh, you know, one gal that I work with that her, her three minute speech was on hedgehogs and, she has now bought books on hedgehogs. She learns all about hedgehogs. She just can't get enough hedgehogs because of that memory of that school. So, so obviously, yeah. so obviously, oh, go ahead, sir. I was just thinking, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, telling people about suicidal tendencies and stuff. And it, that kind of relates to the school for me, because the first time I went through this, the uh, CNT school was probably the first time I told somebody that I had suicidal, I, said it was in the past, but it was, you know, it wasn't really, but it was during a, a, a scenario, I brought it up to break, you know, the ice with somebody who was considering suicide. Uh, and it, 
you know, was successful, but of course I said it was past, but it really wasn't. It was really something that was present in my life at that time. Wow. Um, so the CNT school to me has been kind of a, uh, a marker for me on how much I've grown and how much, uh, I have, not that I'll ever have this completely under control, um, but that I have more of it under control than I used to. How, how do you feel obligated to be on the team to reach out and try to pull people out of the same situation that you're in? Yes, definitely. And I think that's, that's what, you know, what I'm doing now when I'm talking to you is because I feel that obligation. Um, I feel like I don't want somebody else to be sitting there like I was saying, nobody, nobody's going to care. Nobody wants to hear my plot problems. Nobody wants to know about it. Um, which was just wasn't true. It simply wasn't true. And, um, so I, I want to make sure people realize that that's not the case. That's why I'm wearing this, this shirt from tell the hell project. Uh, talks about, you know, being in the fight with your brothers and then the demons come. So, um, yeah, I, that, I don't know where I was going with that, but, um, it's okay. It's, it's, it, that's the beauty of being on a live feed. Uh, you yeah. just, who knows? I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Look, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad. Uh, I'm so glad that you are part of that team. I'm so glad that I got to interact with you and meet you. Um, I know without a doubt that your experiences, the things that you've shouldered um, will help somebody. When you can get on that phone, you can get face to face with them and they say, you have no idea what I'm going through. And you say, you know what? I don't, but let me tell you a little bit about my story. And you'll be able to, you'll be able to connect with those people on a level that, you know, Joe officer tactical handcuffing guy can't, you know, and it's just so important because mental health in our facilities with the population of inmates and officers, um, man, it's, it's incredible. The, the, the amount of, the amount of, uh, baggage that people are carrying around. So that's awesome that you had that perspective, man. I, I, I have no doubt that, that you're exactly, you know, where you need to be and, and, uh, that you, that you've already made some differences in, in people's life, man. I just think, I think that's, that's tremendous what you're doing. Talk to me, talk to me about, tell me, uh, so, you know, you kind of talked about, I, you know, you, you feel obligated here. Is that where Project Watch, can you, is that how Project Watchtower started? And can you, can you tell the people watching at home what, what is Project Watchtower and then kind of, uh, you know, the catalyst for that? What, what made you say, you know what, I need to, I need to do something more here. Well, right now Project Watchtower is a little bit, uh, of a, a dream still. Um, it's a Facebook page right now and I want to try and do more. I haven't done as much as I'd like as far as posting about, you know, tips on, on trying to, uh, find and identify those people that are going through the struggles that I was that, that maybe are not comfortable with coming and telling their story and not, and not getting that help. Um, because when I first would talk about wanting to do some, to help some correction officers who are going through these things, a lot of people would say, yeah, I know a lot of, I know this, this person and that person that needs the help. 
and I would think that's awesome and we need to get those people to help, but I'm really concerned about the ones that don't, that you don't know about because they're doing a better job with hiding. It. Right. Um, and, um, really where, where the ideal came from was after I started to, you know, to, uh, figure out my own things, I started to realize that I, I wanted to help. I felt that obligation, like you said, and it was kind of just more general, like a just suicide in general. I wasn't necessarily thinking corrections. And then somewhere, I don't even remember where I read the statistic about law enforcement and, and corrections included that the amount of people that die from assaults is one third of that of that kill themselves. Um, that's so exactly, that's exactly what it is right now. If you go, if you go to blue help, um, I, I, I bluehelp.org. I, I want to say that last night or when I checked there, there's right now have been 31 officer involved, uh, you know, line of duty deaths in, in the United yeah. States right now, 31, we're over a hundred suicides. Yeah. It, it's insane. And it's, it's literally like, you know, for corrections officers, you're seeing people that may want to kill you daily. I mean, especially in certain facilities, you're seeing that on a daily basis. But yet the person that's most likely to kill you is the one you see when you look in the mirror. Oh, man. For a lot of people. Not everybody, but for a lot of people. Wow. And so that that's a scary fact, I think. Um, and that's where Project Watchtower came from, is the idea of can we watch each other's back as much as we watch inmates? Can we... Uh, try and identify those people that are struggling and show them how to get help. And I think a lot of it was that people just don't really know what they're supposed to say. You kind of talked about it with the PTSD stuff earlier. Um, you know, we, we tend to want to say, oh, here's my story. Listen to my story. Right. And then that starts to fill. And I was guilty of that too. Um, but But when you're in the when you're the one that's thinking about hurting yourself or you know, wanting to die or something, and somebody's just telling you that, it just kind of compounds the problem. You're like, well, they don't even, no one cares. Right. Everyone cares about themselves. They don't care about me. And I don't think that's true. I just, I think we just don't know how to react sometimes. No, no, you're right. It, it, we, and I think they do that as a nervous, as a nervous reaction. So I, I, I remember a situation where the, the the gal uh we had a we had a gal that wanted she said i i, I want to kill myself i'm I, you know and and uh i listened to an officer try to try to relate look i understand i understand what you're going through is difficult no you don't she just watched a videotape of her a videotape <laughs> of a recording of her daughter testifying against her and now her daughter was going to get taken away and she was going to go to prison I don't think you've ever been in that predicament, you know, and, 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 but, but I think we do that. We, we feel like we have to, to, to share, to relate, to say, Hey, okay. Yeah. Look, I'm going through some bad stuff too. And, and maybe we can, you know, commiserate together. Um, but, but I think it's just, all you have to do is just listen. Yeah. And it's a fine line. Cause I think that sometimes you can get people to talk. Like I said earlier, by saying that you've had some issues, you can get people to start talking about their issues. But then there has to be that point where you stop talking about you and listen, like you're saying, like, yeah, you have to switch that off at some point. No, I think you're right. I think if you're if you're in a negotiation situation, 
you definitely are going to share some of that to to build a rapport to to establish that connection that's different than you know you coming to me and saying hey bill i've got you know i've got some shit i'm dealing with and i'm like oh yeah yo well, i'm dealing with some shit too you know oh, you know and and that completely dismisses because number one you're going to think well he doesn't think what i'm you know going through is important and right. you're going to be like well you know i'm not i'm just keep it to myself then you know, so yeah, it's and that's kind of what that's kind of what Daniela put in her blog too, is uh, you know don't don't try to relate because even if you have the exact same circumstances, okay, we both been through a divorce. Well, your divorce was you know it didn't everything could be the same, but our coping mechanisms, the way we look at life, the way we were brought up, all of that plays into it, and and it could make me want to go out in the garage and hang myself. And for you, you're like, cool, I'm going to go get a different girlfriend. You know what I mean? So uh, that's what people need to be mindful, man. Words matter when you, when you, when you talk. Yeah. Um, definitely think that the words do matter. And people, everyone, like you kind of were saying, but everybody's views differently. Um, even though our, some of our things might be similar, they're still going to have completely different views on how, like, you know, some people are very dark about things. Some people are, you know, trying to find hope. There's all just different things. And that's why that's why I think it's it's to to you know they beat those active listening skills in our head. They they you know they they basically you could probably sum up here's here let's let's teach a quick communication class for correctional officers and say hey when somebody else is talking shut up and listen to them just shut up. Just listen. Don't think about what you're going to say. Don't try to relate or one-up them. Just shut up and listen. How's that? Is that could that be class over? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we could let's do our we could do our own school right here, okay? But it's funny though because, you know, we talked about the HFRG and, and PBCT and all the defense tactics and those are all we they're they're important. They are. Very important. But um, you know, you you told me about a while back, you told me about the uh, mental health first aid. Mm-hmm. I am not understanding why that's not part of basic training for, for corrections officers. It should me, be. That, that should be a hundred percent part of what we do. Um, because, because of all the things we've talked about, it's not just, it would benefit the inmates as well as the staff. Do you feel like that was a good compliment to what you learned in CNT? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I listen when I went to that mental health first aid, and I went for it solely for the suicide action plan, right? So this is the this for algae. This is the steps that you take when somebody when you say you know, are, hey, uh, are you feeling suicidal today? And they say yes. Oh shit! Now what am I going to do? You know, and 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 I didn't know that. You know, I didn't. But now I know it, and I and I and I know what questions to ask. And that that class was so, and it also helped me understand that. Uh, just another thing that says, yeah, man, people, these struggles, these things that people are going through are, are very real. You know, it's not just something that they're all, like you said earlier, attention seeking or that they're just, uh, we, we talked off the air a little bit about, you know, sad. Oh, I'm just sad. No, it's a, it's a lot different than just being sad. Yeah. It, it's a lot different than just being sad. And it's, <clears throat> Yeah, I haven't actually taken the, the uh, mental health first aid. Um, those kinds of things aren't really offered in my area very much. I'm in Nebraska, but 
but it, I think it should be something that's that's being pushed through as standard training. But oh, it absolutely should be. So so let me tell you this then. So get on it. There are all kinds of trainings all over the place, and and uh, and if there isn't a, a training class out your way, then then try to become an instructor. But but look at that suicide action plan, and and uh, so you did a really good job because I thought you knew what I was talking about. But it's uh, so it's uh, when you when you I and I carry the card around in, but it's you you know you acknowledge it, you listen non judgmentally. Okay, and then you then you give, uh, you are not you don't want to give advice, right? But then you want to you want to try to get them to get to to professional help, things they can do personal help. But it breaks down all these steps, and uh, and it's so awesome, man, because it it works, right? So it's just as simple as when that gal came out and she said, "I want to kill myself," I said, "Okay, have you ever tried? Have you ever attempted before?" Yes, I have, you know, so after you've established, are you suicidal? Yes, I am. Have you ever attempted before? You know, what's all the things they talk about CNT. So what's, what's different today? You know, what, you know, what's bothering you today? Or do you, you know, talk about their plan? What, you know, how are you going to do it? And, um, and it's good stuff, man. It kind of takes away that, that initial shock because you're ready for it. You know, if, 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 you know, my neighbor who sells insurance, if he was going to, you know, be like, Hey Bill, how are you doing? And I'm like, dude, I'm going to kill myself. He would be like, Oh, what are you, what are you talking about? But that that yeah. if that information really it really helps you because then boom, you snap into just like when you're getting ready to negotiate, you snap into that mode and you just you're just talking. You know, it's super awesome, dude. You should um, you should try to get there. So so talk to me about uh, talk to me about your office uh, your office obsession. Is that fair? Yeah, that's pretty fair. Fair quote, and it's an office obsession. I think I've probably watched watched the entirety of the show a hundred times, um, just nonstop on my Netflix queue. Nice. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I like it so much. My brother says it's because I am Michael Scott, but um, <laughs> nice. So, yeah, so I thought I thought we'd have some fun tonight and do something that we we haven't ever done before. If you've if you've still got a little bit of time, um, I yeah. I I printed off uh, some office trivia questions and answers, and so I I want to test and I want the people that are watching uh, and maybe they can they can answer. If you know the answer, uh, put it in the comments below. If you're an office person, and we'll see if if somebody can comment before David can get the answer. Okay. So I'm just going to, I got all, there's a, there's a whole stack of these things. And, and so we're going to jump around. Okay. All right. So let's, we'll just start with the first one here. Let's say, uh, uh, uh let's see here. Screen. Okay. What, what, this is a, I feel like this is an easy one. Which character became Jim's love interest after he moved to Stanford branch in season three when they joined offices karen very good very good pat pat's on there too okay pat we need you need to be quicker than that he got that right away what substance does jim put office supplies owned by dwight into jello yeah very good very good okay 
Okay, here's here's a good one. This is this is a this is a funny episode. What does Michael Scott burn his foot on? Uh, George Foreman Grill. Do you know what he was cooking? Bacon. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you when I when I texted you earlier today, you and, and I said, "Do you want to play Office trivia?" You said, "I'm actually watching The Office now." <laughs> yeah. Well, most of the time, that's what I'm doing. I'm not. You know, you know what? It's a great. It's a. It's such a fun show. Um, it. I don't watch a lot of like, uh, you know, TV sitcom stuff. Um, but I. I really loved and 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 I liked. It's kind of written, kind of complex. It's funny. It's silly. But there's some. Michael Scott's like story is kind. Is kind of sad. You know. It is. Uh. So yeah. So I. I. You know. I don't know. Oh here. Oh here's one. What is Pam's favorite flavor of yogurt? Oh, I think peach. No, no. Does anybody, anybody in the comments know? So this is Jim Halpert knows the flavor of yogurt Pam likes best. What is it? The answer is mixed berry. Mixed berry. Mixed berry. Oh, Okay, let's get a let's get a little uh, let's get a little tougher here. And I didn't know this one. What do you know? What Toby's daughter's name is? Toby's daughter? Yeah. No, I don't. It's it's Sasha. I didn't know. Uh, I I guess I knew he had a daughter, but I didn't. I I shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's early episodes. Okay, let's see here. Um. Oh, this one. This uh, who punches a hole in the wall between Michael's office and the conference room? Andy. Yep. Very good. Very good. Oh, here. What actor starred in the British version of The Office? Uh, oh shoot. Um, oh, I'm watching another show with him in it right now. Um, are you wa- Afterlife? Are you watching Afterlife? Yeah, Afterlife. Yeah. Do you like um, Do you like Afterlife? I do like that show. It's 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 a very uh, dark look at depression and and grief. Yeah, I really I really dug season one. I haven't jumped into season two yet, but uh, yeah, it was. Um, it's uh, it's one of those it's one of those things, and I like those kind of shows that mask kind of tragedy with that dark humor because it it like sucks you in with the jokes, and then before you know it, you're like into your emotions and it's just, Oh yeah. Pat, Pat got it right here. Rick, Rick, Ricky Gervais. Gervais. Yep. So good job. That's so that's two, two for David Jordan and one for Patrick Berry. Okay. All right. So, Hey, when, when Scranton had to evacuate because of a fire, who started that fire? Ryan started the fire. That's right. Ryan started the fire. Very good. I forgot that there's a little bit of a delay from our live feed to uh, to Pat, so he's kind of behind the uh, he's kind of behind uh, the curve. I should get him on the phone, is what I should do. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Uh, what? Oh, this is it. This is easy. What? What warehouse employee was engaged to Pam? Uh, Roy. Roy. Very good. Very good. Okay, how about this one? Wit, what day is Michael Scott's birthday? Oh, how do I not know that? I don't know. 
Yeah, you are Michael Scott, your brother says. So you're supposed to know this. How do you not know when your own birthday is? I mean, he's not shy about saying it either, so I really should know it. But Well, I just threw it down. It's March 15th. Okay. Okay, let's see here. Uh, people, people, oh, yep, yeah, Pat said he's good, got one. So he just, uh, he just missed another one. So we're, we're getting close. What college did Andy go to? Cornell. Cornell. Very good. Very good. These are some cool questions. Um, what's your favorite episode of The Office? Do you have a favorite? Uh, That's a really tough one. Probably, you know, honestly, um, the, uh, office safety meeting where he um, talks about um, suicide and he's testing the ideal of jumping off onto a trampoline <laughs> or bouncing off to, to show people the dangers of suicide. That, that's one of my favorites probably. Um, Cause like you said earlier, they, they touch on these really uh, intense issues, but do it in this ridiculous way. Yeah. It's... Uh, that's probably the favorite episode. Yeah. It's good. One, I I like the uh, I like when they do the uh, uh, the what do they call the awards that they give out? The Dundies. The Dundies when they do the Dundies and it's like at Applebee's or whatever. That's yeah. uh, that's a funny one. That that whole show that whole show is is good. Makes me makes me laugh here. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go over here. Uh, okay, so here's a good one. In the Diversity Day episode. What famous comedian stand-up routine does Michael imitate? Chris Rock. Chris Rock. Very good. Very good. Oh, Pat says his favorite episodes are anything before Will Ferrell. Anything before Will Ferrell. Yeah. 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 There's some good quotes after Will Ferrell, though, still. Not a good episode, but good quotes. I don't. uh, Let's see here. Um... What color? What color does Dwight paint Michael's office when he thinks he's taken Michael's job? Black. Black. Very good. Very good. What episode were you watching tonight? Um, uh, it was the um, Michael finale ones where he's getting ready to leave. Um, which are pretty good episodes too. But Will Ferrell's involved in some of those. But what? Uh, why did he? Why did uh, Steve Carell leave the show early? Do you know? I think he was getting big movie deals. To be honest with you, he was getting big, big offers on the movie deals. Are you a fan of uh, some of his movies? Have you seen A Friend for the End of the World? I have seen that one. That's pretty good. I like. That. I, I like his movies in general for the most part. Yeah, there's just He's got a new one that I'm curious about. Which is that Space Force? Uh, no, that's the Netflix show, and I have watched that. That's that's decent. But uh, he's got a movie out that John Stewart wrote and directed about. Oh. Politics in a small town, like the big, the big parties coming in to try to influence a small town election. Looks interesting, but maybe, yeah, not sure. Very relevant. Very relevant. Yeah. All right, let's see if I can get a couple more here. Pat, what's your favorite? Anybody uh, watching? What's their favorite episode? We still got some people watching, Dave, which is crazy because usually, yeah. usually I lose them by now. But people, people love you, man. <laughs> so this says oh, so. Uh, Oh, here's here's one that what actor from The Office and John Krasinski went to the same high school? Uh, I 
I don't know. BJ BJ Novak. Oh. Which is Ryan, right? Ryan, yep. Did you watch uh did you watch uh Jack Ryan at all? I did not watch those. No. What do you What do you think of uh, Jim Halpert being an action an action star? I can't, yeah, I can't watch it. I can't do it. It's a little It's a little difficult. The I the, there was some good. I watched the first season of the Jack Ryan thing. It was, I mean, it was okay. It was different. It was different. All right, let's let's do. You got time for two more? Yeah. All right, let's do let's do two more here. Let's see here. Um, What does Michael pretend to fire Pam over in season one? Stealing. Do you remember what? Office supplies, I think. Post-it notes. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Very good. All righty. Now, let's see here. Last one. Let's see. Okay. (laughs) This is a funny one, too. In season four pilot episode, Fun Run, what does Michael organize the fun run for? Rabies awareness. It's probably like the greatest fundraiser shirt ever. <laughs> Do you own any Dunder Mifflin uh, attire? I I own a pair of Dunder Mifflin sleeper pants. I almost wore them tonight, but I decided to was. Oh, that would have been awesome, man. That you would have been the well. You're probably not the first guest to wear their pajamas, but that would have been uh, that would have been classic, buddy. All right, you got any? Uh, listen, Dave, I I produce. I've I've uh, I've appreciated you hanging out with me tonight. I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time, and uh, and the just your perspective, the interview, the the thing that you're trying to do with Project Watchtower is great. If you need any assistance, if you need any help, uh, I'm a phone call away, man, and uh, I'm gonna send I'm gonna send people over to that Facebook uh, page, and uh, and let's get it going, man. Let's make it happen because the more the more information that's out there, the more people like you that are out doing that, the better we'll be off as a as a profession, as a collective. Is there any final final thoughts, final words of wisdom uh, from your edge of the state? to the rest of the world that you'd like to share before we get out of here? Um, just, I mean, we kind of touched on it before, but just like not dismissing people when they tell you they're, they're hurting or they're having these issues. Um, you know, don't give them the old, well, you're just feeling sad. You'll get over it. Just, you know, even if you don't have the time to listen to them, try to guide them in a place that, that, that will. Um, and as far as Project Watch there goes, if, if you know other people with corrections, please share. Uh, more members I can get, the better. And I'll try to be better about putting more information on there. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to say, but. Um, well, I'll give you some. I'll give you some uh, some unsolicited advice, which we which we've talked about tonight. Not doing. Um, just start putting stuff out, man. I mean, the, the yeah. information's important, and uh, you know. Uh, when I was worried, when I was getting ready to start the show, when I was getting ready to write my book, and I was kind of consulting with uh, the other people that were kind of in my corner talking about me, the consensus is just start talking, just start writing, just start posting, just start doing whatever you can do. You can refine it later, but the main thing is to just just put yourself out there. And then before you know it, you you pass somebody in the hall and they're they're saying hey man you know what are you doing you know or what's that project watchtower or whatever and it just grows but you've got good information man you know your shit 
you're, you're a great guy to talk to. You got a good heart and, and you've got experience that people need to, to, to need to hear. So, um, get that going, man. And, and, and I'll support you in any way that we can. And, and, uh, yeah, who knows, who knows where this is going to go, man. You're going to touch people you didn't even know, uh, that you'll never know. And, and it's an awesome thing. Thank you very much. You're welcome, man. All right. Uh, I am going to, uh, let's just sign off right now. And, uh, guys, we appreciate you spending your Saturday night with me and David. And we did some fun, uh, fun little trivia. If you guys have any questions or comments, please put them in the comment section. Uh, me and Dave will be in there kind of hanging out, answering them. Uh, if you have, um, any concerns or need to reach out and talk to somebody, feel free to message me. Feel free to get a hold of David and uh, and we'll try to point you in the right direction. All right, guys, that's it. Enjoy your Sunday. That's all I got for the week. Join me next Saturday night. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until next time, guys, be smart, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk soon. Let's go.